Hey, this is Vanessa. You may have heard that Nocturne is no longer distributed by KCRW. We're now back to our 100% independent roots, which means that the show's very existence now depends on you, the listener. If you've been listening for the last six years or just discovered us, I need your financial help to keep the show going. There's a great episode coming up, but what if you hit pause first and head over to patreon.com slash nocturnepodcast. Once there, you can become our ongoing patron and you get some fun rewards, including monthly nightlights at the $5 a month and up levels. Nightlights are short atmospheric bonus episodes meant to surprise and delight. Other Patreon benefits include custom videos, big, beautiful postcards from me to you, a digital version of Pasa Music, Kent Sparling's beautiful album of music for Nocturne, and even shout-outs in episodes. So head over to patreon.com slash nocturnepodcast, or go to nocturnepodcast.org for other ways to support us. I'm so, so grateful for your help. Listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. The weather forecast for Labor Day weekend looked good. Alex Ziff's birthday falls on Labor Day, so he thought a great way to celebrate would be to head with his buddy up to Mammoth Pool Reservoir in the Sierra National Forest. I've gone there as a little kid. I've been going there ever since I was two or three years old. It's about a five-and-a-half-hour drive from Santa Monica, where Alec lives, up to the lake. You go through Bakersfield and then on through Fresno. I went with my friend Nick Myers. He lives in Bakersfield, so I had picked him up on the way over to the lake on Friday night. The drive is on freeways up until Fresno. Then the road turns into a small mountain highway as you start to ascend into the foothills. It's a two-lane road up until the point where you get closer to the lake. And then once you really get down to the lake, those two-lane roads turn into single-lane roads. It's incredibly beautiful. A lot of pine trees. There's a massive lake. It's very windy. The winds will pick up during the afternoon hours and then die down around 4 or 5 o'clock in the evening. And in the mornings, the water is very still. It's just a very beautiful sight. Alec had spent countless summer days in the area. His grandfather had had a house nearby. His lake memories were filled with fun and relaxation. We often do hikes and jet skiing and boating, wakeboarding, skiing, and just hanging out with family and friends. Sometimes my, my grandpa used to bring his horses and we'd go horseback riding. As Alec and Nick arrived at the lake that night, there was little to indicate that this weekend would be any different than the trove of happy memories he had of this place. We got to the lake at 9 o'clock. Very normal. We took a kayak, so we untied that from the top of my car, threw in all of the stuff on the kayak. We had a lot of stuff, so thankfully the, the water was very calm at that time, and we were able to load up the kayak and make one trip across the lake to the other side, which there's just various campgrounds that you can camp on. And so we just kayaked across the lake and found a spot for us to pitch a tent and to throw up some sleeping bags. We had a, had a fire going on Friday night and we could see a lot of the stars. I mean, the stars were incredibly beautiful Friday night. You could see so many stars because there's no city lights in that area. 
but what we did notice is a very, very faint, slight cloud cover coming from the south. And at that time, we didn't think anything of it. You know, it just looked like a, a normal cloud. But when we woke up, I had smelled smoke. Um, and at first I thought it came from, from our campfire. And then when I got out of the tent, I noticed off to the south that there was a incredible amount of smoke coming from off in the distance. It looked very far away compared to where we were. I've seen many fires in my day. Where I grew up, we had a lot of brush fires in the mountains. So I, I know how fast they move. Um, and I know just proximity wise, how far a fire is visually and it looked at least 100 miles away if not more so it was not an issue for us that morning alec and nick ate some breakfast and then made sandwiches to take with them as they paddled from one end of the lake to the other they cliff jumped off a 45 foot rock paddled some more did a couple of hikes after a full day of sun and exercise the guys envisioned kicking back at the campsite for the evening they paddled the kayak over to the boat launch where their car was parked and drove the five minutes up the road to the general store to get some ice. And that's when we started to notice that things were, were getting worse is because when we got to the general store, uh, the, the lady had, had come over to us and said, hey, the electricity is out and you guys have to evacuate. There's a fire coming this way and it's coming quick. But we were told that we had a couple of hours, um, so there was there was definitely time to get our stuff and bring it back to the car. They didn't want to abandon all their stuff, so that meant driving back down to the launch, kayaking back across the lake to their campsite, packing everything up, paddling back to the boat launch, and loading everything into the car. And when we got down to the lake, we had noticed fire at the top of the mountain, but it definitely looked like we still had a couple of hours before uh, we had to get out of there, so we didn't think anything of it, decided to kayak across the lake. There was no concern up until the point where we got to the other side of the lake. At that point, we're moving quickly. We were quickly trying to pack up all of our stuff and throw it into the kayak, and the fire was still off into the distance, but it was scary because it started to grow all around the lake. And I'd look around in the fire. Every minute that went by, the fire got 10 times worse. It would just grow from the left of us to the right of us to behind us to in front of us. It grew incredibly fast. Embers were just falling from the sky and starting fires everywhere. We went from moving quickly and putting all of our stuff into the kayak to looking all around us and thinking, oh my God, this is, this is getting worse. This is getting really bad, really quick. So we started to scramble and just stuff everything that we could into the kayak. Alec crammed a bunch of stuff into two backpacks, both of which he wore. They didn't even fold up the tent. Alec ended up just sitting on it as they paddled out. The tent was half hanging off the kayak on each side. The sleeping bags were just hanging off the side. There was a bunch of other things like a lantern, 
uh, flashlights, backpacks that we were sitting on. That was just due to the fact that we were trying to get out of there, and we were trying to get out of there quickly. As they began to paddle, Alec noticed another disturbing sight over by the boat launch across the lake. If you looked off into the distance, I could start to see all of the cars driving away to escape the fire. At, I would say, 20 minutes in to us paddling to get to the other side, the fire had completely surrounded the entire lake. And the cars that were leaving were driving back down. We realized that all of those cars had been trapped by the fire. And that was an important piece of information for us because we knew that we weren't going to be able to get out. And that's because the fire had significantly burned parts of the road or had been burning and had trapped the vehicles. Uh, so they started to drive back down the road. Alec and Nick made the decision that even though there appeared to be no way out, they still wanted to get to the boat launch and their car and be ready to leave when and if they could. So laden down with all their stuff, they powered on. We still wanted to get to the other side, but we had been kayaking and hiking all day, so we were already exhausted. We had been paddling for about 20, 25 minutes. It was around 3 o'clock at this point, and the predictable afternoon winds had started churning up the water. So the waves were, were pretty rough. I've never been so tired paddling in my life. And the fact that we have the tent half hanging off, it really slowed us down. At this point, we started to scramble. The fire is, is all around us. We're starting to, to bicker at each other, my friend and I, because we just want to get to the other side. And I keep screaming, paddle to the left, paddle to the left, while I'm paddling to the right. And that's when the, the waves get five or six feet high. So the fire that had surrounded us had started to create these, these giant waves that pushed our kayak over. And so all of our things had fallen into the water and I went into the water, my friend went into the water, all the stuff went into the water. My leg got caught up in the tent. I'm being dragged by my two backpacks that are on me that are filled with clothes and water. So I was being weighted down by the tent and the backpacks and obviously dealing with the high current and I wasn't hanging on to the kayak at all. It was floating away at that point. Um, and so at that moment, I thought I was going to die. Because if you can imagine, I'm sitting there thinking I might drown and I've got fire all around me. I have no idea if we're gonna make it out of this. There's fiery embers falling from the sky. They're hitting the kayak. They're, they're falling around us. It was a very, very chaotic, horrific scene. Alec fought to stay above the water, and he was finally able to get loose of the tent. The two of them flipped the kayak upright and gathered as much of their stuff as they could from the water. The embers were still flying all around us. They, they were dropping from the sky, uh, still on fire. And I just, I looked at my friend and I said, we can't do it. This is impossible. We cannot get to the other side. So we decided that we would just drift to the other side of the lake and wait out the fire. Alec and Nick were trying to get to the north side of the lake, 
but they drifted west across the water to an isolated peninsula, sort of in the middle of the lake. The wind was blowing from that direction, meaning that the smoke wasn't as bad where we were, which was good. We could see around us. They recovered as much of their stuff as they could. Some of it floated along with them to land. An ice chest, a sleeping bag. Both paddles had been lost, but one eventually floated up onto the shore. The tent ended up at the bottom of the lake. They figured they'd rest and wait for easier paddling so they could continue on to the boat launch. They laid on some rocks for a few hours. Alec jumped into the lake a couple of times to wash off the ash that kept falling on them and into their eyes. They could feel the heat of the fire all around them. You could feel the fire on your body. Uh, it was definitely warm. If, if you sat next to a, a normal campfire, you'd feel that warmth. I mean, the fire was probably 50 feet from us, but you could feel how intense and how hot it actually was. Finally, after the wind calmed down, they were able to get back on the water. They packed everything they'd recovered back into the kayak. They only had the one paddle, which Alec used to get them across to the other side, where all the other stranded people were. We got to the boat launch probably at six or seven. There, there were still roughly 200, if not more, people at the boat launch. Someone helped them carry the kayak to Alec's car, and then they sat across the way from where most of the people were congregated. Alec caught his breath and observed the scene. I heard a lot of people playing music, and, and, uh, and then on the, on the north end of the boat launch, uh, I could definitely hear more people that were, were, were screaming and were injured by the fire, and, and it was very loud. It was very loud. The camp store was just a short distance up the road, and the fire had torn through that area. Many of the workers from the store and the adjacent campground were converged near Alec and Nick, so they began to talk to them and get information about what was going on. The store owner was there. She was the one who had told them earlier that they needed to evacuate. She told them now that she was in contact with her brother, who was in charge of clearing the roads. So he was working on getting his bulldozer to bulldoze uh, a bunch of trees down. A lot of people were calm in that moment. Some people had gotten burned. I was told that two people had passed away, but those individuals were on the other side of the boat launch. I didn't talk to any of those people. I didn't see any of those people. I was on the other side of the boat launch where my car was parked. This is around nine o'clock. The sun had gone down at that point, and I stood at the edge of the lake, and the fire had, had burnt through everything already and had been moving on to the east, and there was no smoke at that time, or very little. So you could see across the water, and the, the whole mountain had been burnt and was all black, and there was just these these orange spots, these sparkly orange spots everywhere. It was just incredibly beautiful to watch. I stood there for, for an hour just looking at it. I know it's weird to say, but I've never seen something more beautiful in my life. Beauty notwithstanding, it was a stressful moment because while the fire didn't seem to be an immediate danger, they were all still trapped, with little information about what to expect or what to do next. And cell phone service was hit or miss. Alec was able to reach his parents and his girlfriend. He told them he was okay, and that he'd heard it could take a couple of days for the roads to be cleared enough to drive out. 
Then, at around 10 o'clock, he was hanging out back by his car. And that's when we saw the, the first helicopter. Alex says that people on the launch started flashing their flashlights at the helicopter to make sure they could see them. The first helicopter dropped down on the boat launch. It was incredibly loud. I had no idea that helicopters were coming. So Alec turned to the local workers, who seemed to know best what was going on. And the, the initial message was that they were only taking women and children and individuals who had been injured by the fire. So we just accepted that. The Chinook helicopter was the first helicopter to come. Then a Black Hawk helicopter dropped down after that. We're taking turns shuttling people in and out. Exhausted, Alec rested on the wet sleeping bag he laid out on top of the kayak. The helicopters were churning up dust and smoke in the air, and he tried to avoid breathing it all in. He could see people being loaded into the helicopters and being whisked off to safety. And I believe the last helicopter showed up at around midnight or one o'clock. And I was told by a couple of individuals that that was going to be the last helicopter. Alec was feeling pretty comfortable with their decision to stay behind. He trusted what people had told him about the helicopters being only for women, children, and the injured, and the plan for the roads to be cleared so they could evacuate by car. Everyone around him seemed calm. He and Nick had dinner with one of the RV owners and his wife. And then after, when he was heading back to his makeshift bed, he started noticing that things felt very different around the boat launch. It was strangely quiet. It went from being incredibly noisy to there's only 15 of us here. Alex started walking around, trying to figure out why it was so quiet. Is everybody just sleeping? And that was my thought, is that everybody's just sleeping in their cars to avoid the smoke and the dust that had been blown up into the air by the helicopters. At this point, Alec is just focused on getting an update on the rescue situation. Everything they knew came from the workers, who said a bulldozer was clearing the road. And they hadn't seemed to know about the helicopters coming, just that they weren't meant for them. He wanted to know the plan. It was just about getting information, as much information as I could. Worn out from the stress of the day, though, Alec fell asleep without any news. It was 4 o'clock when I went to bed, finally. I didn't really understand what was really going on until I woke up that next morning. So I probably woke up at about 7.30. And I cannot describe how orange it was. I mean, I opened my eyes and everywhere around me, it's completely orange. That's how bad the smoke was. And you couldn't see more than 50 feet in front of you. It was incredible how much smoke was there. Breathing was very difficult. Breathing that night wasn't bad. When I woke up that morning, it was completely awful. I, I took off my shirt, tied it around my face, just so that I wasn't breathing all of that smoke in. And I started to walk around. I started to walk around the entire boat launch, trying to see how many people actually left. And nobody to the north side of that boat launch Nobody had stayed. Everybody was gone. I kept waiting for people to wake up from their cars. Nobody woke up because everybody had left. 
I felt deserted in that moment. I felt like, wow, we, we probably should have gotten out by helicopter. Maybe that was the right decision. And I just started scoping out the, the environment. It, it looked like a war zone. There were minivans with their glass shattered. I don't know if that was from people punching into the glass or from the helicopters just being so close that it broke the windows. I don't know. There were just ATVs sitting everywhere. There were cars sitting everywhere. There were, you couldn't see it from, from where we were, but up above there were a bunch of cars that had exploded from the fires. But it was deserted and it looked desolate and it was smoke everywhere. It was a crazy scene. And I just realized that everyone had, had gone up and left. The only people that stayed were uh, us, all of the workers and the store owner, and two other campers. This is when the reality of the situation began to shift for Alec. He realized that every piece of information he'd gotten had been from a small group of people in the area near where his car was parked. So I was relying on that information. Had I been on another side of the boat launch where everybody was escaping and leaving, I guarantee our decision to leave via helicopter would have been different. We would have gotten onto those helicopters because we wouldn't have been speaking to the individuals that had been telling us we were going to be able to get out through the roads when the bulldozers got through. Despite feeling deserted and unsettled, Alec wasn't panicking. Everybody was calm. Everybody else was calm, so that, that made me calm. And I was just going around assessing the situation, figuring out, hey, if this is not the case, if they don't get us out of here in 24, 48 hours, how much food do we actually have? So I started going through all of the ice chests that were left behind, and I assumed that we probably had a week or two weeks, if we stretched it, of food and water. Some of the stranded people were having a hard time with all the smoke. One of the RV owners had an oxygen tank that he lent out to people who needed it. They'd also hooked up some of the RVs to generators and were able to turn on the air conditioning so they could get out of the heat and smoke. Everybody's just hanging out. We were doing okay. Yeah, we're going to get bulldozed out of here in 24 or 48 hours. We're going to be fine. Alec had called his girlfriend and parents that morning to let them know he was still doing fine and things were on track for the roads to be cleared soon. All they could really do was wait. I then started to receive information from one individual that, that started to worry me. We were told by this individual that we weren't going to last more than two or three days inhaling all of that smoke. And that started to freak me out. I started to, to panic a little bit. I started asking for more updates. I started uh, using other individuals' phones, just trying to get cell service. And that's when I made my final two calls to my father and my girlfriend. I just told her that I loved her and I missed her, but I told her how bad the situation was, that it was getting worse, and that I didn't know, out of all of the information I was getting, what had been accurate. I mean, the same individual that told me we might not last for more than two to three days with the smoke was also saying that the bulldozers might not even get through all the trees until Wednesday. So the original estimate was 24, 48 hours, and this individual is saying four days. And I didn't know who to believe. I, I mean, I, I was pacing back and forth. I was 
trying to relax in the RV. I went into my car to like calm myself down. But I, I started to think to myself because of all the information I was hearing, I was like, there's a chance we might not get out of here. With his confidence already shaken because of the conflicting information he'd been hearing, there was another anxiety that was starting to creep into Alec's mind. They were able to read some news when the cell service was strong. Different news sources were saying that everybody had gotten out by helicopter. And I started freaking out because I didn't know if anybody else in the outside world knew we were even down there. So I called my father and I said, Dad, you know, I, I don't know what information is accurate. I need you to help me out now. You got to start notifying people and, and, and telling people that we're actually down here. There are people down here. I felt disappointed in myself that I didn't get on the helicopters, that I didn't know how bad the situation was. I even told my father, I was like, I, I'm sorry, I should have gotten on the helicopters. And that was the last phone call I made. This is Sunday afternoon. No more calls were coming in or out at this point. Because it was around four or five o'clock when the cell tower had burned down. Alex's friend Nick had mentioned earlier that if the roads weren't cleared soon, they could ask their parents to pitch in for a helicopter to come and get them out. But come four o'clock, five o'clock, that's not happening anymore because we can't call anybody. So we felt incredibly stranded at that point. I mean, we, we had no communication anymore with the outside world. I had no idea if bulldozers were coming or not, or when they might come. Uh, no idea if helicopters were gonna come again. I was told that helicopters were not coming again. And it made me feel like there was a chance that we might not ever get out. Alec was starting to think that maybe the workers had a false sense of security. They'd seen lots of fires come through the area over the years. That's why they were so calm, is that they've been through those situations. But nothing like this, nothing crazy like this. I mean, this is the first time the, the, the general store had burnt down. I mean, it's been there for over 100 years, and it's never burnt down. Alex spent the hours trying not to spin off into anxiety, staying grounded in the company of the others. Everybody is sharing their experiences and their stories. We're telling everybody about our kayak situation and we're hearing stories about how the, the store had burned down. And one individual, he was part of that group that had driven down to the lake water from the campground above. This man told his story of people fleeing the flames and running down the hill to try to get to the lake. Some were asking to jump into his truck. It was a sobering conversation as they all sat there stranded. So we had eaten dinner. I was still trying to calm myself down and just try to relax. I believe it was around seven o'clock or eight o'clock when I looked at the top of the ridge and I could see three individuals walking down the hill with flashlights. And all you could see was the flashlights because it was so smoky. At first I got excited, but then I, I quickly calm myself down because of everything that had gone wrong throughout the day and throughout the weekend I was just like you know what that's probably three campers that had gotten stranded up above and they were coming down to regroup with everybody it wasn't until they got closer to us that I started to realize they were from the U.S. Forest Service my heart just 
it was just like a huge sigh of relief came over me. The first words that they said were, is everybody okay? And I just immediately like felt a thousand percent better. I knew at that point that we were going to be okay. People knew we were down there. We were going to be okay. So the sun was going down, but we still had probably another hour of light. And so we loaded up the, the kayak on top of my car and put all of the stuff in the back of my car. And we were told that we were going to be the second car to, to caravan out. There were around 10 cars in the caravan. The guy in the lead car had a chainsaw in case there were any trees in their way. And we took the craziest beat up back road, country roads you could ever imagine. I mean, giant potholes, a bunch of rocks, sticks, burning trees around us, crazy routes that hadn't been burned yet from the fire. Or they had been burned, but they put out the fires around those roads and had clear a path for us to get through. I mean, it was insane. I was the only guy with a sedan. Everybody else had SUVs and trucks. So we finally ended up on a regular road. A bunch of police cars were lined up and a few fire trucks. We all went to the Red Cross Center, which was about another 30 minute drive from where we stopped. While I was driving to the Red Cross Center, I was calling my parents and my girlfriend, just letting them know we got out and we were okay. Got to the Red Cross Center, we checked in. After checking in, the clock hit midnight and it was my birthday on Labor Day. So everybody was, was saying happy birthday to me, which was cool. And my friend and I just drove to the hotel that they had put us up in and um, we just decided to, to celebrate with, with a few beers. My friend said the best part was the shower, which it was. I mean, I probably shampooed my hair three or four times and just black stuff was just coming out of my hair every time. If I had to do it over, yeah. I mean, I, I would have taken that helicopter if I had family with me, if I was older and I had children. Of course, I, I'd send them on the helicopter and I probably would have gone with them. But at the end of the day, we got out. We got out safely. And not everybody, not everybody can say that. So we're definitely very thankful. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. If you haven't done so already, please support Nocturne on Patreon or PayPal. Go to nocturnepodcast.org support to find out about how to contribute to keep us going. $5 a month on Patreon gives you that great feeling of supporting something you enjoy and gets you more of it. Monthly Nightlights, exclusive to Patreon supporters. Here's an excerpt from the first one, entitled Walk to the Water. Look at that moon. Yeah. Yeah, look, is, sit and look at the moon. The moon is watching us. Don't embarrass yourself in front of the moon. Exactly. Ooh, it's warmer now. Maria Samani and Emma Horning are in the Happy Possum Club on Patreon, receiving all the benefits of supporting the show, including my deep, deep gratitude here. Thank you, Maria and Emma. 
come on over and join them at patreon.com slash nocturnepodcast. Again, that's patreon.com slash nocturnepodcast. Till next time, be well, and thanks for listening.